Take your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 7. I am on a mission today and uh, we are on a journey together as a church. It's a pathway that God is uh, bringing us down. It's exciting and scary. Have you ever been on a trail, maybe hiking through the woods and you're, it was a little uh, tumultuous, a little scary? Anybody ever been on one of those? Have you ever hiked the knife sedge on Mount Katahdin? Anybody ever do that here? That's a little scary, right? Going across the knife's edge. If you've never done it, you need to. It's a good hike. Uh, listen, I want to take a moment real quickly from my wife and I and from the bottom of our heart. Thank you for the, uh, the gifts, the outpouring of love. Um, and Pastor Zach and Natasha as well would say the same. Uh, I woke up, well not woke up, I came home one week this week to find a bunch of little sheep on our front lawn. Uh, if you don't see what that's about, you can look at Facebook. I just said thanks. Um, but thank you for, um, thank you for, loving us and for caring for us as your pastors um, and so maybe you won't love me after today's message but I still love you <laughs> so we're on a very difficult journey as a church um, and, and someone asked me recently if I'm really trying to shrink the church down I said absolutely if that's what it takes um, there's a time that we all have to go through a purging and a cleansing. Last week we talked about the cost of discipleship. We've been leading up to this, uh, this series. It's an eight-week series that we've been leading up to for several weeks. But it's not just a sermon series, guys. And I, I hope that you as a church will embrace this as a lifestyle because that's, what God's, that's the path God's calling us down. It's not an easy pass, path. And most people don't like it. People in the American church today don't like it. You can go to another church right here in central Maine and you can hear a little bit of an easier message than what I'm preaching. <laughs> Someone was overheard saying last week, does he really expect us to give up everything and follow Jesus? <laughs> or, or he expects us to leave everything and so what I would say to you is as I said last week, the cost of following Jesus, God may ask you to give up everything and drop it and walk and follow him like he did the fishermen, his disciples. But if he doesn't ask you to do that specifically, are you still willing? Are you willing to give up everything to follow Jesus? You see, that's the true cost of being a follower of Jesus. Today is Partner Sunday. There's 17 people that are uh, coming into partnership. And these are people who have said yes to that calling. Because we know that God's taking us on a little bit of a deeper journey right now. As a church. Next week there's one service. What's that, what time is it, by the way? 10 a.m. Good. I'm just, just checking, making sure you remember. It's at 10 a.m. next week. But on December the 15th, we're going to one service. We're going to one service for one commitment for one year. For one year. And it's going to be crowded and you're going to be uncomfortable. In fact, we're going to have to set up more seats when we have both the first. But are you, are you willing? So this is a small picture. Are you willing to be a little bit uncomfortable? Sitting closer to people, being next to me. Are you willing to be a little uncomfortable for the sake of unity? Yeah. And for the sake of coming together. Here's, here's what I really believe God's doing, church. Listen to me, please. God's, God's bringing us closer 
to each other, more singular in our vision, more focused together as a family, more unified because the road we're going down is harder and harder and harder. Amen. And it's coming like this. It's getting narrower and narrower and narrower. I'm reminded of some of the roads that we've traveled in Guatemala, some of you that have been with us. And they start out as a nice wide road. When we get close, further up in the mountains, they get narrower, 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 and narrower and harder and harder and harder. And as we're going down those roads, we are going to need each other more and more and more. Like, who's got my six type of stuff, right? <laughs> who's got your back? Who's got your back, really? We're supposed to have each other's back, right? And this is a hard road to go down. And we'll be challenged, we'll, be, we'll go through some struggles, we'll go through some difficulties. And, and in our society and in community, here's where, here's where we get to this not being so popular. Some of you don't like this, but here's the reality that we live in a very pluralistic society. And a pluralistic society is one that is incredibly uh, diverse. And one where the people in it believe that there are all kinds of different things that that we should tolerate each other's beliefs even when they don't match our own. And a pluralistic society accepts many different sorts of people from different races, sexual orientations, cultures, and religion. And the world we live in, that, that's all out there. We need to be marked by a people of love. Amen? Amen. <laughs> that we love people. We're not here to judge people. But we understand there is one way th to the Father and it's through the Son. There are not multiple paths that lead you to heaven according to the truth of Scripture. I'm sorry. And I love you in the world and I love the society and the world we live in. But there are not multiple paths that lead to... That just because you're a good person, you do good things and you have you know, this good vibe doesn't mean that you're going to be in heaven. And eternal life. And the world you live in, and I live in, doesn't like that. It doesn't like the fact that there is an absolute truth. In fact, it's a, a world of cultural relativism. Right? Well, if that's what you believe, well, that's good for you, and I respect your beliefs, so you need to respect mine. And, and although I do respect you as a person, I need to love you enough to tell you the truth in love. And the truth is, there is one absolute truth, and that's Jesus Christ. That's the Word of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. That's not popular. And if you go out and do your work tomorrow and you start telling people that, guess what? <laughs> oh, I know, it's funny, but they're not going to like you. Welcome to the life of a disciple, of following Jesus. It wasn't a popular message in Jesus' day, and it's not a popular message in your day. It's a hard message. It's a narrow road, and there are few that walk it. You know, when my, when my daughter first went to college five years ago, she graduated, she went to UMO, it was like culture shock. It's like, wow, this is a whole different world out there. And it was a challenge. And you, are, you will be labeled as an intolerant bigot if you have different beliefs than the rest of the world. But the rest of the world can believe different than you and it's okay. But when you start to say, well, that's not what the Bible says, then you're a hater. We shouldn't be marked by hate, and we can't be marked by hate. We need to be marked by love, but the reality is if the world hated him, it's going to hate who? And that just sucks, right? Because we want to be liked. We don't want to feel like we don't fit in anywhere. 
But here's the reality of following Jesus. <laughs> you're in this world, but you're not of this world. And here's the hard thing about, you're going to have one foot in, one foot out. It's, it's, let me get back to my notes or I'm not going to finish today. <laughs> Not only is it deemed socially unacceptable to be intolerant of other beliefs, but the idea of absolute truth continues to be seen as an old-fashioned novelty. So how are we to know the way? How are we to know who is actually proclaiming the truth? How are we to know how we can live godly and fruit-bearing lives? The answer is through the Word of God, through the Bible. It's through our study and understanding of the scriptures so that we can come to know the truth. Yeah. We know, we come to know God through the study of the word of God, through the Bible. And today in America, this is the most neglected book on the um, Christian American bookshelf, the Bible. In fact, the, the, the message that I'm preaching is, is from a book called Radical by David Platt. And we're all quick to read other great books and great authors and self-help books and good Christian books here and there. But we're not quick to dive into studying of the Word of God. And listen, we've missed it. In fact, in the American church, we've missed teaching you how to study the Bible. Teaching you how to feed off of the Bible. And so we have churches in America today filled with baby Christians who have been serving the Lord for 20, 30, 40 years and they're still drinking milk of the Word and they haven't eaten the steak because they're just still immature. Because they only get fed once a week and therefore they never, they never developed. They never developed their spiritual muscles. I say they as in we, us, people in churches in America today. See, I told you this wasn't popular. If you want to shrink a church, this is a great message to, to preach. <laughs> but I'm going to preach it, okay? I'm going to preach it. And you know what? I'd rather have five people completely sold out to God and to the principles of the Word of God than 500 who are, eh, because we'll do more damage for the kingdom of God than, than the rest of the, the hypocrites in American churches today. Yeah, there's hypocrites filled in American churches today. They're in the pulpit and they're in the pews. But let's get into some deep stuff today and let's go on a journey and a pathway. Are you ready to go with me? Yes. If you're visiting today, I'm really not a mean person. I'm really not, I promise. I love people and I love the Lord and I fear God more than I fear you. So you may leave and you may get angry at me, but I'm more concerned about living in the fear of God and a mindset and a mentality that, that fears Him and is going to speak the truth in love and allow you to receive that. So I, I hope that you'll receive it with an open heart. So let's pray for that right now. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to hear and receive from you, not a man's words, but your words, Lord, spoken to us from the Word of God and the truth from your Holy Spirit that would penetrate our ears and our hearts, that it wouldn't just stop at our ears, but Lord, you would speak deep into our our hearts today and we ask you to to transform us change our way of thinking our way of feeling our way of acting and living in Jesus name amen, amen. Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is, is a, a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're going to focus on the, the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, starting in about verse 13. But many Christians today are very familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. 
Um, and, and it's actually an overview of Jesus' ethical and moral teachings. Some, many believe it's, it's multiple sermons kind of compounded into one in, in, in these passages 5 through 7. But the sermon is an overview. And it actually is, is simply this. It teaches Christians how you should behave. This is what this is about. How to behave. And for the original audience, the sermon um, uncovered a new way of living. Jesus explained that it was no longer enough to seek righteousness through the letter of the law or through the words themselves. And, and what that letter of the law was about was about people becoming very legalistic. Religious people becoming legalistic. Have you ever met somebody who's legalistic yeah. that says, oh, you got to do, 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 do these things and, that, and there's a lot of rules of do's and don'ts. But Jesus emphasized the spirit of the law. Not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. For people who lived in Jesus' time, this, this message would have been very fresh, but it also would have been shocking, and it would have been alarming, and it would have been thought-provoking for them. And so my prayer is that it will be the same thing for us today. Thought-provoking. Fresh and exhilarating. Shocking. So an honest look, though, at, at the, the scripture today shows us the line between the values of American uh, culture and American church. And the line has become very blurry. The line between the American culture and the church that, that most Americans sit in, in in America today is very blurry. And Jesus has said, no, it's really pretty clear. <laughs> you've blurred it, but the lines are really pretty clear. You don't like what you've read, so you've modified it and you've manipulated it and you've coerced it in a way that's more comfortable and more convenient for you. And let's face it, we've done that in the church because we don't want you to be too uncomfortable. <laughs> right? You're already looking at me like you don't like me. <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to preach the word. We, we've modified the gospel of Jesus Christ to be a, a little bit more, less abrasive, a little bit more kind, a little bit more loving, not so harsh. But really, there's a clear line. And Je so Jesus wraps up on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 17 by making a clear distinction between the way of the world and the way of the word. The two paths are, they're mutually exclusive. And we cannot live in both worlds. This is what we don't like. We want to have our cake and eat it too. But you cannot live in both worlds with one foot on this path and another foot on the other path. And they're headed in opposite directions. If you want to live in the way of the world and you step over here, and you want to live in the way of the word and it's over here, and they're both going in opposite directions, what's going to happen? You're going to split in half. But we try, honestly, we try to straddle that walk. We do. We try to straddle it, and it doesn't work. So then we, we come up with this half-hearted, wishy-washy, mamsy-pamsy faith walk. And this path that is a lot more convenient and a lot more comfortable for us. Yeah. Because it's a little bit easier. So this morning, I want to challenge you that you can't live in both those worlds. The Bible says that you're to be in the world, but not of it. You and I live in the world, but we are not of the world. We were not created to be here. 
but we continue to try to straddle that path. And listen, whether you're young or old or older or more mature, whatever word you want to fill in, whether you've been serving the Lord for five months or for 50 years, this is a challenge for all of us because the world in which we live in is constantly vying for my attention. My flesh that I have every day has part of me that wants to be in the world. Yeah. Because that's my nature. It's called my sin nature. And there's another part of me that wants to be in the Word, wants to obey and follow the precepts and the principles of the Word of God. But it's counter, it's, it's contrary, it's contrary to what is my flesh. Just like Paul said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do do. Right? I do that. Right. Point number one that I want to make to you this morning is God's way leads to eternal life, not to an easy life. God's way leads to eternal life, not to an easy life. Well, I don't like that. We all want the easy path, right? We want to push the easy button. Oh, that was easy. Well, that's totally contrary to what the Word of God teaches you. Following Jesus is not easy. All right, well, I'm out. See you later. That's what we do. But, or we say, well, no, it, doesn't, it can't, certainly can't really mean that. Christ calls his followers out of dead-end lives and into a specific way of life. Look at verse 13. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to what? Destruction. And those who enter by it are... It got a little weaker there. <laughs> there are many. Most people will not live in such a way as to experience eternal life. Right. Look at verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is what? Hard that leads to life. And those who find it are what? Few. And they're filled in our American churches today. Understand here... <laughs> Um, we live in a world of cultural Christianity. The only path leading to eternal life, the only path leading to eternal life is a challenging path marked with resistance. It's full of pit holes and hurdles and obstacles and challenges and difficulty and it's narrow. It's hard. The, the path to eternal life is hard and few go there. Why? Because it's hard. Right. Exactly. We all want to take the quick, easy pill that will help us lose 50 pounds and boom, we pop the pill, we're good to go. We don't want to do the hard work that it takes, right, to lose the 50 pounds. We want it our way, we want it the way we want it, and we really want it the easy way. Following Jesus and the cost of discipleship is hard work. Say those two words with me. Hard work. Hard work. Well, that's not very encouraging. <laughs> the world of cultural Christianity reduces faith in Christ to a one-time decision and a free ticket to heaven, but the truth of the gospel heads in a radically different direction, one that calls people out of sin and into total surrender to the will of God. Total surrender. Not my will, but your will. Right. 
In verse 21, and I don't have it on the screen, but just pen down in your Bible and look at this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles and, and then I will declare to them, this is Jesus, then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you, you who practice lawlessness. You need to understand that Jesus was not speaking to unchurched people here. He was not speaking to irreligious people here. He wasn't talking to the atheists and the agnostics. He was talking to devoutly religious people. Yeah. Church people. He was talking to you and I. The people who fill the pews every Sunday. And this is what really alarms me about this passage of scripture. Yeah. People were deluded into thinking they were, they were on the narrow road. They thought we're on the narrow road because they had every form of religious function and they looked the part on the outside. But deep inside, they're thinking, oh yeah, we're on the narrow, man. You know, we go to church at least on Christmas and Easter and we, you know, we pay our dues. Sometimes we call those tithes, but we think they're dues. They get us into heaven. No, um, you know, all of these things, we're, we look the part. But they were actually on a broad road that led to hell. Religious people. So according to Jesus, one day... Not just a few, but many, the scripture says, will be shocked. They will be eternally shocked. Church, wake up! Yeah. Right? This is what I'm saying. Many will be shocked, religious people, thinking they're on this, this narrow road, but they're not. They're on the wrong road, and they will find that... They're not in the kingdom of God after all. So there is a, there is, the danger of spiritual deception is very real. The danger of being in church and being a religious person is very real. And it concerns me. It's scary to me to think as a pastor, and, and many pastors I'm sure feel this way, who sit in church week after week. We preach to the church week after week. We preach to the choir. And we preach to many people who think they're saved. And they have a form of godliness. But they're not. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying this is what Scripture is telling us. Because it's not up to me to judge. You'll stand in judgment before God and you should be way more afraid of Him than you are of me. Believe me. So, you know, we, we, we have been told just make a one-time decision, say a simple prayer, and we give you some wonderful little uh, promises and, and uh, we don't explain to you that there's a significant cost in following Jesus. Well, it's not just going to cost you something. It will cost you... Yeah, thank you. Everything. Just say a prayer. Don't worry about the commands. Don't worry about his standards or his glory. You know, you've got a ticket into heaven. Now you can go live however you want to live on earth. And our sin will be tolerated along the way. See, much of today's modern church and even modern evangelism is built on leading people down this road. And it's a road that's built on sinking sand. It's a path that is sinking, church. And it, it's, it risks deceiving millions and millions of people. So my heart for the rest of my time here on this earth is to help wake up the church to, to realize that many in the church today are on a path that is sinking and they're not going to realize it, some of them, until it's too late. Biblical truth calls us to a much different response and leads us down a much different road. Here in the passage, the gospel demands us to turn from our sin 
take up our cross, die to ourselves, and follow Jesus. Those are actual terms and phrases used in the Bible. They're not my terms. They're phrases that Jesus used in the Bible. And, and, and now our salvation consists of a deep wrestling in our souls, right? With the sinfulness of our hearts. And the reality is that you and I have de deceitful, wicked, sinful nature. And the reality is that I wrestle with that every day. The Bible says that each man has to work out his salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean this, God's going to strike me. It means I take serious how God looks at me and what he thinks about me and my sin in my life. That, that I take that seriously. I don't take that lightly. That's a big deal. Well, that sounds hard. Yeah, it's, it is hard. And the scripture says it's hard. And it's a difficult road. And it's a narrow road things that I don't want to do, I do. Why? So, so my decision to follow Christ isn't that I, I, say to pr I said a prayer many years ago and I gave my heart to Jesus. It's all good, done deal. I'm good to go. It's every day when I wake up before my heat, feet hit the floor. God, today is not my day. It's your day. It's not, I'm not the Lord of my life. You're the Lord of my life. That means you say what I do, where I go, how I go, and what I do. And, and I'm one that, you know, I don't like being inconvenienced. I like to have a plan, know what I'm doing, know where I'm going, and every day the Lord just screws that all up. <laughs> And nothing is convenient. And I get all bent out of shape. And I'm like, well, that's not what I had planned today. And, and he reminds me, well, that's great because it's not your day. It's my day. It belongs to me. So just shut up and follow. <laughs> right? Let's right? Isn't that true? But that's hard. I know it's hard. And we all have these crosses to bear. But man, it never just seems to go. But I have to remind myself the cost of following Jesus is not a one-time prayer I said several years ago. It's every day. It's every minute of every day saying, you're the Lord of my life, not me. That means I surrender to your control. I surrender to your lordship. It's not the way I want this thing to be, this nice, pretty, tidy picture. It's hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. And there are the things in my flesh that do not like it. And those are the things that I have to die to. My carnal man. Mm. It's not to say that, that we have to earn our way to Jesus through some type of radical obedience. Remember what Ephesians chapter 8, 2 says, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Listen, this is simple gospel message here for you. We're saved from our sins by a free gift of grace. Something that only God can do in us, we cannot manufacture ourselves. It's a free gift. But that gift of grace involved the gift of a new heart. New desires, new longings. For the first time when we receive that gift, we want God. We want what he has for us. Not my way, but your way. Yahweh, right? God's way. We see our need for him and we love him. We seek after him and we find him and we discover that he is indeed the great reward of our salvation, Jesus. We realize that we're not saved just to be forgiven of our sins and to be assured of, of eternity in heaven, but we are saved to know God. That's why you were saved and born again, to know God. So we yearn for him. We want him so much and we desire him so much that we're willing to abandon everything else 
everything else. We're willing to say, you know what? If it's this job that's in the way of following you, then job, get out of the way. If it's my relationships that's in the way of following you, then relationships, get out of the way. I'm not saying you throw your marriage away, but you put God first. Whatever is in the way, are you willing to surrender everything to follow Jesus? That's the question that we have to answer. That's not a popular question because we want to make it as convenient and as comfortable and as easy as we can, but that's contrary to what the Bible teaches you and me. He says it's hard. He says it's narrow. He says only a few are going to do it. My question is, are you going to be the few? And say, yes, I'll follow you, Jesus, even before, before you say yes, <laughs> even if it costs me everything. Yeah. Okay, because we talked about the cost of discipleship. This is the narrow road. This is a hard road. It's the only proper response to the revelation of God and the gospel. This is why men and women around the world risk their lives to know more about Jesus. The stories that we shared last week. This is why people will sit in dark and quiet rooms in other countries where it's illegal to talk about the Bible, where it's illegal to talk about Jesus. They'll walk for miles. They'll go to hidden places to study the Word of God. There is a hunger to know God that we do not have in America. We're lame. I'm just being real. We're lame Christians. Other people have to walk for miles and miles to study the Word of God. And we've got ten Bibles on our shelf that we don't even open during the week. Quiet in here. <laughs> it's hard to study. It's hard to get into the Word, right? It's hard to do this, church. But we can't settle for anything less than, than that which is God-centered, Christ-exalting, self-denying gospel. It's a hard road. Denying myself. Denying my flesh. Maybe denying sleep time because you need God time. That's sacrifice, right? Whatever the sacrifice is for you. Number two, the world's way is deceptive and leads to destruction. The world's way is deceptive and leads to destruction. Look at verses 15 through 20. Christ's followers have to guard against false teachings that teachers have corrupted into the church. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? See, teachings infected by the world cannot produce spiritual fruit. Only the Word of God can produce spiritual fruit in me and you. Look at verse 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. What does that mean? What is all that saying in, in these verses? It's basically saying that a person's life shows evidence of either God's word or worldly desires in his heart. What, what is the evidence that's shown in your life? Is it evidence of worldly desires? People look at you and, oh, wow, on the outside, man, they're incredibly successful. They've got this, they've got that, they've got the nice house, they've got 2.5 children, a white picket fence, they've got the cat, the dog, they're all good to go. They've got the American dream. And everything on the outside seems to be good. Or do they see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? The fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control, love, the fruit of love. Do they see Jesus in you? 
Verse 19 says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You see, we, we begin to also realize the world that we live in is, is about a, is a very much given to the self-improvement strategies and even in our churches, right? And the author of this book, Radical, warns that no morality, selective obedience, church attendance, superstitious prayer can produce spiritual life in you. None of that will do that. And we're glad that, you, you know, we want to give you this class to go to and the new believers, the new partners, the, you know, um, starting point and all those are great things. But none of that produces fruit if you're not abiding in the vine. And the vine is Jesus. How do you abide in Jesus? You get to know Jesus. How do you get to know Jesus? You open your Bible. You get into the Word. You delve into Scripture. You spend time with Him. You meditate upon His Word. You spend time building a relationship with Him. We're definitely more interested in building relationships with each other. And that's not that that's a bad thing. But if it costs you giving all of those relationships up for that relationship, what matters more to you? Where's your heart? Jesus told us that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And Paul went so far as to say that we are captive to the devil himself. You and I, this is what Paul's teaching us. That we're captive to the devil himself. But I've got good news. There's something coming here, so wait for it. And because we're slaves to sin, we're blinded by the truth of God's word. We're blinded by God's truth because we're slaves to sin. Ephesians 4.18 says that we are darkened in our own understanding and our hearts are like stone. So why there's a lot of religious people who read the church or read the Bible, they don't get anything out of it. They're not, they don't have the fruits in their life. They're hitting this wall, but they're still checking off the I went to church box because they want to go to heaven box, right? According to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, that we can't even see Christ because of the depth of our spiritual blindness. You and I, left on our own, are absolutely spiritually blind, we are walking through this life with blindfolds, banging into walls, banging into religious strongholds. Religious strongholds are some of the worst. Easy to see the, the darkness out there that's very apparent, but in the church, these are religious strongholds. Again, Jesus is speaking to religious people in this parable, the Sermon on the Mount, to us. The gospel confronts us with the hopelessness of our sinful condition. But we don't like what we see of ourselves in the gospel, so we shrink back from it and we, we land somewhere in the, the world of self-improvement, self-help. Read Tony blah blah blah's book and do this, thing. You know, I don't want to give a lot of names. So we modify what the gospel says about us. We're not evil, we think, and we're certainly not spiritually dead, we think. Haven't you heard, Pastor, of the power of positive thinking? I can become a better me and experience my best life now. That's why, that's why God is there uh, to make that happen. You cannot make that happen. Well, my life's not going right, but God loves me and he has a plan to fix my life and I simply need to follow a couple certain steps. I need to simply think a couple certain things. I check off a few boxes and then I'm good. Then I'm all set to go. 
Listen, unfortunately, both our diagnosis of the situation and our conclusion regarding the solution, both of those fit nicely into a culture that exalts this self-sufficiency model. Self-esteem, self-confidence, and listen, you can read this book and that book and this self-help book and that self-help book, but until you get into this book, your self-esteem and your self-confidence will never be grounded and rooted in the humility of knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Your identity needs to be grounded in who Christ says that you are, not in who you think you are. You can look in the mirror all you want and say, become a better me, become a better me, all that you want. But the only way that that you becomes better is by you dying to yourself and allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to come alive in you by getting to know Him and by receiving the free gift of salvation that is yours through Christ and allowing Him to do the work in you. You cannot change the desperate wickedness of your human heart, nor can I. No. But He can. And the good news is He's come to you to change you. Yeah. But some of us stopped at that day of salvation. We said a prayer. We checked off the ABC, said the sinner's prayer box. And then we went on living. And we, we never made a conscious, deliberate decision of our life that every day is a new day. And I'm not saying that you have to get saved over and over every day. But the decision to go beyond salvation and to receive and, and embrace lordship are two different things. Many people believe that Jesus is their Savior because they said a sinner's prayer. They recognize that He died on the cross for my sins and He rose again and I'm saved. There's a huge difference between being saved and Him being your Lord. Lordship is absolute, complete, and total surrender to Him and to His way for your life, not what you want. So it's when you get up every day and you say, God, today's your day, not mine. Today I live for you, not for me. We very quickly slip into the I'm the Lord of my life. Why? Because we're selfish. We're self-centered. We're human. We have a sinful nature. Pastor, it sounds awful like you're, you're really beating up on us. I'm, I'm really not. Because this is a great message of, of receiving what Jesus has for you. Abundant, true, spirit-filled life endued with power from His Holy Spirit to you. See, we already have a fairly high view of our morality, so when we add this kind of, this little superstitious prayer and a little bit of church attendance and obedience to some of the Bible, we feel pretty sure that we'll be all right in the end. But when you consider, and this is, this is the problem that we're tackling, the modern day gospel and the biblical gospel, you'll see a huge problem. The modern day gospel says, hey, God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Therefore, follow these few steps and you can be saved. Awesome! Cool, I'll take it. That's what we like to hear in the church today because that's comfortable, convenient, fits nicely in our box. But the biblical gospel that we're digging into, this is what it says. You're an enemy of God. You're dead in your own sin. And in your present state of rebellion, you're not even able to see what you need in life, much less cause yourself to come to life. Therefore, you are radically dependent on God in your life to do what you could never do. You could never fix. You could never make better. 
In the gospel, God reveals the depth of our need of him. He shows us that there is absolutely nothing we can do to come to him. This is what he shows us. <laughs> we can't manufacture salvation. We can't program it. We can't produce it on our own power. We can't even initiate it. Here's the great news of the gospel. God has to open our eyes, take the blinders off, to set us free to overcome evil and to appease his wrath. He has to come to us. Listen, he has to come. Oh, well, we know that, of course, Pastor. But we, we're not really receiving that. Now we're getting to the beauty of the gospel. Jesus has come to us in the person of his Holy Spirit. He is there available to you every day as your helper, your comforter, your guide. He's come to you, but you continue to say, well, I got saved a long time ago, but we don't live in and operate in the power and the authority that is ours through his Holy Spirit. He's come to us. He is there for you. He is the one that empowers you and enables you to say yes to God and no to sin. You can't do it on your own self-power. I'm going to be better. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to toil longer. I'm going to this. No, what you need to do is say, I cannot. I surrender. I give up. I am hopelessly lost in my sin without Jesus. That's where we need to get. We need to acknowledge and recognize and understand that we are a mess. We are incredibly screwed up. That's in modern day Craig vernacular. You and I. We really are. Stop trying to act like you got all your mess together and acknowledge that you're broken. That you can't fix it. That your life's a wreck. That relationships are a wreck. And that you just need to receive Jesus. And, and this is where I think salvation is lost. Many of us think that we've received Jesus because we said a one-time prayer, we checked that box, and then we went to church, and we went through all the motions. But the life of following, a follower of Jesus, is an is a everyday choice to say, I surrender to you. I surrender to your lordship. It's not my will, it's yours. And it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's marked with contention and strife and heartache and difficult. It's a difficult journey. It's a narrow road. Like I said, it's hard. The easy way is wide. It leads to destruction, but it's easy. Following Jesus is getting up every day. It's going through your day saying, you know what? Not my will, but yours, God. Yep, that hurt and I didn't like that. That was painful, but you know what? Pick up my cross and just deal with it, Craig. That's the life of following Jesus. That is you and me working out our salvation with a seriousness that we, we are working through what it really means to follow Jesus. If you want to check the easy box, go to Staples. All right, just hit the easy button. I don't even know where I am. <laughs> Have I given you point three yet? I'm going to go through these last two points quickly. Number three, God will enable. God's will. No, this is important. God's will enables a relationship with Christ, not your ability. God's will. And it's God's will that none should perish, but that all should have eternal life through who? Jesus. That's God's will. Not your ability. Not like, oh, I'll be good enough. I'll check the boxes. I'll go to church. I'll do this. And blah, blah, blah. That's the whole missing point. God's will. He loves you so much that he gave the very greatest gift of all. Pastor, you're preaching an elementary message about salvation. You're right. It really is. 
but it's one that most, most of the church has missed. And we think that salvation is just a, hey, I said a prayer, I'm good to go. No, you're not. According to the Bible, many of you will stand before him and he'll say, I never knew you. And you'll say, but I said a prayer and I went to church and I even gave money. I better be, you know. Many, he'll say, depart me, I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship with you. You didn't have a relationship with him because you were so stuck in your own way. You couldn't see clearly and the Bible teaches us all those things. You can't see. You can't hear. You don't understand because you're in the world. You got one foot here. You got one foot there. You're double-minded and a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James tells us that religious people must guard against deceiving themselves into believing they can have a relationship with God according to their own beliefs and their own actions. A saving relationship with Christ is characterized by a humble submission to God's will. Listen to this last. I got two last verses. Verse 21. Not everyone, I already shared this with you, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? This should cause us to wake up. Oh, but we're church people. Look at all the good things we did in your name. It is so easy for religious people to put on an outward show that makes it look like we got our mess together. When he looks at the heart, you can deceive me, you can deceive your spouse, you can deceive everyone around you. And you can be good at doing it as a church person. And God says, you know what, enough with the mess. I see your heart. Well, your heart's wicked. Well, how do you get that fixed? By surrendering it to him. By finally acknowledging and recognizing I cannot be the husband I need to be to my wife. I cannot be the father I need to be to my children. I cannot be the worker that I need to be. I cannot be the man that I need to be. I cannot do it on my own. I am weak. I am hopelessly lost and a mess without you. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not just some spiritual jargon. Listen, that's not jargon. That's not nonsense. That's the truth of the gospel. You can do all things. That means you can overcome sin. You can be the man of God that God's calling you to be. You can say no to sin and yes to God through the Holy Spirit that is alive inside of you. It's not religion. It's relationship. It's the power of a real Holy Spirit relationship that comes alive in you, that empowers you, that emboldens you, that enables you to be who God's called you to be. And I know I'm over time, but I don't really care about the clock. You can leave if you need to. Um, number four. I am, I am wrapping up. I, I know that we have guests today, so I'm wrapping up for our, our new partners. Number four, God's word is the sole solution. It's the sole foundation for radical living, his word. In order to act according to God's word, we must first know his word. Okay, this, this whole parable... This whole Sermon on the Mount, this wrapping it up in chapter 7, is teaching you and I as Christians how to behave. Don't you dare leave here downtrodden and beat up and feel like you'll never measure up. Don't you dare, because that's a lie of the enemy. Listen to me. Amen. You will never measure up on your own power. That's why he came to you. 
to forgive you of your sins, to wash you, to cleanse you, to purify you, and to empower you to live a life that's above that. You have the authority of the Holy Spirit. You use that authority of Christ who is within you to say no. Don't you give in to the lie of the enemy that says, oh, you can't. You never will. So sick of Christians living that defeated life. That's right where the enemy has you. That's right where he wants you. He's a liar and the father of lies. And you've listened to the lies. You've been deceived because you haven't seen or heard clearly. Hear and see clearly that Jesus is alive. His Holy Spirit is in you and enables you if you have invited him and you have received him. Everyone, this is, this is the last verse. Verse 24. Build your house on the rock. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Seeking security in this life in anything other than God's word is just plain old foolishness. It's plain old foolishness. If you seek anything else. There are two radically different ways to live in this world. They're completely opposing of each other. And there are two choices. You have the narrow way of the word. It leads to fruitful obedience and eternal life. It's narrow, not many go there. Few go there. It's hard, it's marked with resistance. You've got that choice. Oh, but pastor, it's so hard. Yep, it is hard. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> if you're here today and you're hearing this for the first time, let me just be real with you and then say, yep, following Jesus is a life of sacrifice, of surrender, of selflessness, of dying, of picking up your cross. But I'll tell you from my experience, there's no, no better place I'd rather be. I don't want to be doing this on my own. Life is too hard. But what great joy and peace fills my heart to know that he's in control, not me. That he's steering the ship, not me. That in spite of my, my own failures, that I have the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit to persevere. The second way is the broad way of the world. The second way is the broad way of the world. It leads, it's easier, but it ends in destruction. There really is no middle ground. There is no middle ground. There is no middle ground according to Christ. The best our culture has to offer you is sinking sand and it's essential to know and follow God's word if you desire to walk the narrow path and enter through that gate and build your house on the rock, on a firm foundation. We're correcting. We as a church have chosen. This is why we're getting together as one service for one year, one commitment. We are making some incredibly scary commitments. We're going to get through the Word of God in a year as a church. Many believers have never read through the Bible. I'm amazed at how many have never read through the Bible. We're going we're gonna to help you to do that. We're going to guide you and teach you how to read through the Bible in a year. And then I encourage you to do that on a regular basis. We're going to get into some incredibly... Um, exciting and amazing things together as a church. December the 15th is when we launch our one service. I'm, we will be next week for the concert. Then we're, we get two services for the next several weeks and then December 15th. It's one service, one commitment for one year. Will it be hard? Yep. 
So maybe December 15th, you just don't want to come to church. Well, come for the party. We're having a big party on the 15th. Um, big brunch and all that. But right after that, listen, we're going in January of 2020, we're going on a narrow journey. It's a narrow road. You may say, well, maybe I'll find another church. Well, if that's what you want to do, God bless you. We love you. Go in peace and be blessed, but we're going on a narrow road. Anybody want to go on the narrow road with me? Okay. It's easy to clap now, but it's going to be hard. I'm going to invite our board to come if they would, please. Uh, board members, would you come and just stand across the very front here? Uh, boards and spouses yeah, and staff leaders. Kevin and Kim, would you come as well? I know a few of our board members are sick today and not able to be here. Uh, we are going to pray over our new partners. And new partners, I have, uh, they've been in a class with us and we've, um, we have been, uh, thank you, my wife will come as well. Um, we've, we've gone through a class with 17 new partners and some of them were in first service and some ill and not able to be here today but these folks have been in a class with me and some on Sunday morning and uh, these are the things that these folks have committed to um, well I'm going to bring them forward first uh, Ashley Letourneau would you come you can bring is your husband with you if you want to bring your okay Ashley, come on up. You want to bring your kids with you or they kill me later? <laughs> come on up, guys. We love their children. Bruce Crockett, would you come? Please feel free. Vicki, come join them if you'd like. Danielle and Fred Spalding, I know we're not here. J.C. Cunningham, she got baptized this morning. Jeff and Diane, I saw Jeff and Diane. Where are you guys? Come on up, Jeff and Diane. And your daughter, bring her up. She's awesome. Catherine is here. I saw Catherine earlier. <laughs> Ken and Mary Connors, Kim Amoa, Laurie Brown. Amen. Just stand right in front of these folks and spread out. I know it's scary. Uh, I have to look at them every week. It's, it's hard. <laughs> Mike Farmer, Molly and Will, would you come? Where's Molly and Will? I'm so glad they came just to be with me all the way from Kansas because they love me. Just kidding. That's not why they came, but God brought them here, and we're glad they're here. Are your kids with you guys? Huh. They're in kids' church. Okay. Molly and Will, Tasha Dupree. Is Tasha here? I didn't see her this morning. Tasha's not here today, and Tim Mullen. Tim, I know I saw you. Church, would you stand to your feet as a congregation? Let's spread out. Let's spread out and make sure that we got everybody covered there, guys. Put a hand on a shoulder in front of you. These are the new partners of Centerpoint Community Church, and uh, they're amazing people. These are people who have heard what you've just heard and said, yes, Pastor, we're willing. Uh, we're willing, and we're ready to go that hard way. And I love each one of them. I'm proud of them. They are a part of this family. And it's important that we undergird them with, with prayer and with support, uh, prayer covering. And I wanted them to know that this board is behind them. We are behind them. They have committed uh, to uphold the unity of this church, to share the responsibility of this church, to serve the ministry of this church, and to support the testimony of this church. And for that, I am grateful and honored to call them partners of Centerpoint Community Church. Let's pray for them. God, I thank you for each and every one of these men and women and these families that have chosen a partnership with this church. We recognize that it's, it's not just a, a club with membership benefits, but it is a partnership with a kingdom calling, one that has serious costs and consequences involved with it. And I thank you that each one of them has chosen to say, yes, I'll carry my torch, I'll carry my baton, and I'll run my leg of the journey with all that I've got. I will love you with all my heart, my soul, my strength, and I will love my neighbor as myself. I will commit 
to going and making disciples of all nations. Lord, I thank you for these men and women and we pray your blessing on them, over them. Lord, their families, I pray the favor of God would rest upon them. And I thank you for this very significant and serious commitment that they have made not just to partner with a church, but to partner with the kingdom of God, to partner with you, and to acknowledge you as the Lord of their life. That is the single most important partnership any one of us can have. Lord, I pray for your blessing to rest upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Would you give them a big clap and let them know that they are loved? Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Stay right where you're at. Um, we have some cards. Did we get everybody a card? Who are we missing? All right. We're still handing out some cards for you. Here's what I'd like to do. Uh, a little bit chaotic maybe for a minute, but I'd like you to come up and just welcome these folks. Come up and give them a hug. Shake their hand. Whatever you want to do. Uh, make sure that you let them know that they are welcomed. And with the message that we've shared today, if you'd like prayer or anything at these altars, we have some prayer partners that will be available for you as well. So uh, God bless you as you go. And hopefully we'll see you again next week, even though I was, I was tough today in love. God bless you. Love you. See you next week. Amen. At 10 o'clock. And this Thursday. Oh, we have the meeting in a minute in here. Don't forget Halloween and our outreach, right? The meeting will be here in about five or ten.